Shall we pray? Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We thank you that, as Alan said moments ago, you are a communicating God. And you have communicated with us preeminently through Christ. We pray that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I really liked that uh, line of Alan's a moment ago, God is a communicating God. And Alexander <laughs> Alex was prayed for and has been set apart in order to communicate God's word to God's people. And that's the amazing thing about our God. He's not mute. He's not deaf to our prayers and he's not mute to us. And he is a God who wants to speak to us. We've been thinking this weekend about meeting God and going further with God. And if we're to go further with God in our Christian journey, we've got to be attentive to him. And he is a God who wants to walk with us and a God who wants to talk to us and with us. God speaks, as we know, in a myriad of ways. He speaks through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He speaks to us through our consciences. It says in Romans 2 that, that the Gentiles who don't have the law know how to keep the law because it has been written, as it were, on their conscience. He speaks to us through charismatic gifts. People have words and prophecies and revelations and dreams. He speaks to us at times through circumstance and situation and his ordering of these things. He is a communicating God. He's not mute. He speaks to us, as the writer to the Hebrews said, preeminently through his son, Jesus Christ. And the record and revelation of that speaking God is given to us in a book. We are the people of a book. And if we're to know God, and if we're to grow with God, then we need to be familiar with this book. I heard an amazing story a while ago. There was a, a Christian couple who were Armenian, and they're involved in encouraging the church in Iran. And uh, part of that is to take Bibles in Farsi into Iran. And I heard that on one occasion a husband and wife were driving along and they pulled in at a petrol station. And as the, the husband got out to put the petrol in, the wife noticed that there was this sort of mujahideen type warrior stood there by the door, you know, with sort of bullet bandoliers, AK-47 and so on, and just a warrior stood there, proud and strong and noble. And the wife said to her husband, God has told me that you've got to give one of our Bibles to him. <laughs> he thinks, yeah, right. 
So he sort of goes in and he pays for the petrol and he buys some more water and gets in. And she said, you, you didn't get him one of the Bibles out the back. It's all right, darling. That, that'll do. You know. And off they drive. Anyway, she was having none of this and she started going at him. You are disobeying the word of the Lord. God has spoken to you. God has given a direct word. His blood is on your hands, so to speak. His destiny with you. And you've disobeyed God and judgments. And he just couldn't take any more of this. After about three miles, does a handbrake turn. You know, turns around and back he comes. He said, all right, darling, uh, I'll see you in heaven if you manage to get there. And uh, opened up the boot and got out one of these Bibles. And he went up to this warrior. And he was just a little man, giant warrior. And he said, hi. Uh, <clears throat> or whatever he said, you know, in his name. He said, this is, a, this is a holy Bible. This is the Christian book. And thought he might like a copy. He might be interested in it. What do you think? <laughs> you know, and then so close to die. Here we go. But what next? This warrior began to cry. And he said, three days ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, God spoke to me and said I was to meet, I was to be here and wait here. Because someone would bring me the words of eternal life. He said, I've waited three days here. To receive this. What in the world? Now, when I heard that first, I thought, did he go to the toilet in those three days? And what would have happened if they'd arrived just when he was in the loop? But that's not the point. What an amazing story. In our reading in Deuteronomy and chapter 10, three things converge here. What does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul? Jesus said this is the first commandment, the greatest commandment. This is where he gets it from. What does God want from you? To walk with him, to honor him, to live with him and to love him. And how is that made possible? Verse 13, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that Moses is giving to them. The loving of God, the walking with God, the serving of God, the the enjoying of God, the being with God is made possible through his word. It is a great mystery. This book, written by over... 40 human authors over 1,500 years somehow is impregnated with the divine. It becomes a royal sacrament. And here in this book, God is revealed and we encounter him. It's like a heavenly Doctor Who's TARDIS. We go into this this book and we're taken to amazing places and amazing experiences. It's like C.S. Lewis's Narnia wardrobe. That we go through into another world. Or Lewis's stable. That actually the whole universe is somehow contained in it. And here in God's word we find God. 
and his ways, his will for our life, and how we are to walk with him. And then it goes on, and there's that amazing verse here. Why would we bother? Well, we bother because God is God. But along with that, the Lord has set his affection on your forefathers, and he loved them. We are meeting the God who loves us. The God who wants us to love him is the God who loved us first. So what St. John says, we loved him because he first loved us. And he has set his affection on us. And that is why we read it. Not because the vicar says, read your Bible and make you a better person. Because we want to meet with and hear from the one who loves us and the one who invites us to love him. Sadly, often the people of God neglect the word of God. This is one of the main threads that we can read in the Old Testament. That the people of Israel who were given God's law to live in the land ignored God's law and were thrown out of the land. That despite this extraordinary privilege, despite the affections of God for them, they, was, they dismissed it, they took it for granted. And they failed to honour God. It goes on and talks about honouring the alien, the visitor, the stranger in the land. And as a result, they were separated from it. It happened with the people of Israel back then. It happens all too often in the church here and now. And many Christians have just grown tired. They've grown bored of reading God's word. Things have just grown cold in their affection for him and their relationship with him. Stale. And what I want to encourage you this morning is to get back into God's word. To get back closer to God. Because he wants to talk to you. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to pour his affection on you. And he wants you to love him. In the last 18 months or so, four of my pals and uh, colleagues have left their wives and they've left the ministry. Vickers. All were good men and true. You know, evangelical, gospel men, spirit-filled, you know. Some of them were well-known, written books, big conference speakers. And yet they've gone. They blew it. They walked out on their wife, walked out on the family, they walked out on the ministry. Tragic. And if one was to sit down with them and say, when, why, and how, I have no doubt, I've spoken to one or two of them, that they stopped putting God's word at the centre of their life. And actually their love for God grew cold. Their love for, and their discipline with the word grew cold, became stale and formulaic even if it was present. And then the things of this world and the things of the flesh became more attractive and more appealing. And before you knew it, they were prepared to give up 20, 30 years of ministry serving Christ and his bride to, for, for a fling and a venting of the flesh. How tragic. 
I went to theological cemetery 24 years ago, 23 years ago. A third of the people I trained with are not in ministry anymore. They left. They either had a moral breakdown or a mental breakdown or a ministerial loss of faith. They just gave up on it. Statistics show that another third will leave before it gets to pensionable age and in another 15, 20 years or so. Two-thirds of those who start out don't finish. They don't finish well. Maybe it's true, same sort of statistics in, in church life across the board. Why? Because they stopped loving God and stopped realizing that God loved them. And they stopped living with him and walking with him in his word. In the Psalms, we came across an amazing verse that we had read to us. You might like to turn to it, Psalm 119. And in verse 16, there is a, the psalmist says this, I will not neglect your word. I will not neglect your word. It's a vow, it's a decree, it's a promise. And this is a weekend, it's all about more, how we can have more of God. I want to say, if you want more of God, God's going to have more of you. And you've got to give more time to him. And, and, and I don't want to put that on you as kind of burden and duty, but you've got to be people of the word. Because this is where he meets us and teaches us and walks with us. Jeanette Winterstone said of the Bible, she grew up in the Exclusive Brethren actually and then left the church, but she written some amazing novels. But on one occasion she said of the Bible, she said, it is lovers talk, whispers in the ear and public truth. What a wonderful thing. That's what we She didn't even go to church and she understands something about this. This is lover's talk. God who set his affection on me and me who loves God. It whispers in the ear. But it is also public truth. I will not neglect your law. And yet the sad thing is that often we do neglect God's law. We just sideline it. The internet's so more interesting. The television's so more. There's so much more pressures on us with work or family, and 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 it gets sidelined. But if we sideline His law, we sideline Him. You know, if I send an email to my wife or a text message and she instantly deletes it or refuses to open it, how do you think I feel? I mean, often I get emails and I refuse to open them. I'm bad at administration. I just think that's work. I'll just... Unless it's Alan, you know. But But if Tiffany sent me a text message, my wife has texted me. My son sent me a message. My boys, what do they want to say? They want to talk to me. And I thrill to it. Get home quickly. You've got some painting to do or something, you know. But... um, How do you think God feels when his his book, his word, his love letter to us, his whisper in the ear is left discarded and unopened? You know, the Bible has been neglected in our society and in our church. It's no longer the most printed book in the world. For centuries it was. 
But it no longer is. Do you know what is the most printed book in the world? Anyone? The IKEA catalogue. It's true. A hundred million a year are printed. More than the Bible. Here, here's the amazing thing, though. The IKEA catalogue is free, but you've got to pay for everything in it. And the Bible you've got to pay for, but everything in it is free. So you pay your money and take your choice. And the IKEA catalogue changes every year. The latest colour and the latest bit of screw-together wood. This is changeless because God is changeless. Which, which are you going to invest in? The sad thing is that often in the church we're more familiar with the Ikea catalogue than we are with the Bible. It's not a criticism of Ikea. I like Ikea. I like the meatball sandwich, but that's another point. <laughs> Do you know, non-Christians today, non-Christians 50 years ago, sorry, knew the Bible better than Christians today. You know, I walked into a coffee shop last week and there was a chap who's there. He is a pagan priest. He's in his 80s. He's an occult priest. Okay? I once said to him, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a priest. He said, me too. And it turned out he was a wizard. He's not a nut. He's got a PhD, although that doesn't necessarily go together. But, I mean, he's a brilliant scholar, brilliant classical musician, and, uh, but he's, a, he's, a, he's an occultist. And we get on quite well. He's got a very long white beard that I'm modeling. I walked in and he immediately began quoting the Psalms to me. Just, ah, there's the priest. I, he just starts reciting the Psalms. Years of, years of being around the things that have been brought up. He's taught by Dominican monks. He's just got scripture in him. But the non-Christians years ago knew the Bible better than Christians today. I will not neglect your law. In recent years, I've attended quite a few conferences. I've probably done 200 in the last few years. And I've listened to some real nonsense. You know, I really have. People who get up and talk about themselves. Or get up and talk about a conversation on an aeroplane or something. Well, I, I've listened to preachers get up and they don't even bring a Bible. It's just a stand-up comedy. The early 20th century theologian, one of my favorites, called P.T. Forsyth from Cambridge, said this, why do people not read the Bible more? And then he says the answer is because they have not been in that country. And they have no experience to stir and develop. I often go on about the West Country. The older I get, the more I want to be there. It's my home. And sometimes on my day off, I'll literally get in the car and leave Oxford and drive to Bristol. I, like, I just like it. The minute I hit Bath, I'm happy. Not a Bath, the Bath. <laughs> I just feel I'm back home. These are my people. They look like me. Do you know what I mean? They're built properly. And... Do you know what I mean? In Oxford, they sort of do all this and swagger. But in the West Country, they sort of just hang tough. And, you know, they're sort of stocky and... They sound proper. I feel at home. It smells of the Avon Gorge. It smells right. You know, everything, it's home. And the funny thing is, my boys feel the same. They've never lived there. But something deep within them, maybe it's a kind of residue programming memory in their DNA. This is, our, this is where we're from. This, these are our people. 
This is our place. I know the hills. I know the contours. I don't need a map. I know where I am. Point me in any direction for 50 square miles. I'll tell you where we are. I can walk any number of routes out of it. I'm home. I belong. My people are here. We farmed here for generations. We're buried in the soil here. We've worked this soil. Now all underwater in uh, Somerset. But, you know, this is where we're from. The Maori, I was, I was in New Zealand earlier this year, and the Maori have a word for it, Turanga YY. Any Kiwis here? No. Turanga YY. That's their word for it. This is my place, literally my place to stand. It's where I belong from. And I, I was told that some Maoris will often just go, even if it's not their land anymore, they'll go to the land that once was there, and you'll see an old Maori just standing there on this, what was formerly his people's place. My place to stand. So what's the point? The point is obvious that scripture is our Turanga. Why, why? It is our West Country. It is our home. These are our people. This is our place. The patriarchs are our family. This is our DNA. We're buried here. This is our God. These, these are the pathways of our life. I feel, I feel ill at ease when I'm not at home. I feel at peace when I am. And the church is so often divorced from Scripture that she doesn't know whether she's coming or going. She doesn't know where she is. The sat-nav's just spinning her around and around, driving up funny little lanes, going nowhere. This is our book. This is our place. These are our people. This is where we're buried. This, this is our story. Here. And we'll never be in that place of rest, of standing, of comfort, of belonging, of yes, unless we live a life here. I will not neglect your law. In Deuteronomy 6, a couple of chapters back from our first reading, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel as they enter the promised land. And he says some amazing things. He says, listen, guys, when you're in the land, your whole life must be framed by the law, by God's word. He says, you are to write it on your forehead, strap it to your forehead, scripture on your forehead. And you'll have seen Orthodox Jews, it's in a little box around their heads. You're to strap it on your arm. He says, you're to put it on your doorposts, you're to put it on your gatepost. You're to speak of it when you lie down. You're to speak of it when you get up. You're to speak of it with your family. It's just got to frame your life. It is what gives you life. I was in Krakow earlier this year. Oh, holidays with Simon. Um, But I was in Krakow and I was in the old Jewish quarter. And it was actually the part where the filming of Schindler's List was filmed and, and Schindler's List was based. And you remember in the film there's a scene where they you may not remember, they're, they're sort of evacuated in a hurry and there's a, there's a man quickly taking out is it the mezuzah, the law that was on the frame of the door. It's in the movie. And I went and I looked around all these Jewish homes and there on the doors... I mean, it was under communist rule for so many years. It wasn't decorated or painted. It's still all shabby and falling apart and run down. But you can see where, 60 years ago, in haste, 
The Jewish people, as they left the home, the last thing they did, get a screwdriver and take off the mezuzah and put it in their pocket. We're going to the camps. We go with God's word. It was to frame their whole life. Leaving the house, going into the house, getting up, going down. On their arms, why? It affects what you do. Around their head, why? It affects what you think. It's to be on your mouth. We need to recover. For some, we need to discover God's word. That's the first thing I wanted to say. I've used up most of my time, and I've got another ten points. So, let's, should we have another point? Which one should we go for? Because I did have a few here. Um, let's move quick. Why? Well, because God says so. But, you know, it's interesting. In, in Psalm 119 and verse 14, it says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. As in all riches. In that psalm that was read to us earlier on, it talks about his delight in God's law. And uh, what was the verse? Yeah, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. That was the verse I was talking about. What would you rather have, a new car or a Bible? Second home, holiday home, or a Bible? If it was the choice. Repeatedly through Psalm 119... The psalmist says of the Lord, I love it. He, he says it about five times, I love it. I love it. I love your law. I love your statutes. I love your ways. I love your precepts. I love your commands. I love it. I love it. I love it. M- many of you have never come to love it. You know, maybe when you were growing up, it just was too heavy. It was used to control. You know, you didn't meet the God who loved you through it. You just met restriction through it. But ultimately, the psalmist loved it because we meet the God who loves us in it. Now, I was privileged to grow up with a father. I mean, we were very religious, uh, a bit too heavy for me. But once testosterone kicked in, I was, out, I was out of it. But my father loved God's word. I've already told you that he, he immediately, on becoming a Christian, learned Greek and Hebrew. He studied it all his life. He's, 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 he's as good as the Regis Professor of, 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 of uh, Hebrew. In Oxford, I mean, he's completely fluent. And he bought the whole Babylonian Talmud, all these volumes, and he cross-referenced it with the Bible, you know, all in all the margins. It's just amazing. I grew up with him going up. Uh, you know, I never got home when he, early, in the early hours of the morning. He wasn't awake reading his Bible. <laughs> he was awake first thing before he got breakfast, reading his Bible. Last thing at night, he had a busy job as civil servant in the law, But God's word framed his life. And when I became a Christian, I knew what a Christian looked like. They read the Bible. It was a shock to me when I found people who didn't. It's an amazing thing, though. My father gave his life to reading God's word, and he is the holiest man I ever met. How can a young man keep his way pure, or a middle-aged man, or an old man, by living according to thy law? Why is my father such a godly man? I... I texted him yesterday. I said, uh, I, I had a bit of a dicky tummy in the afternoon. I said, I'm not feeling too good, Dad, and I'm just going to rest. And uh, I, he said, where are you? And I said, I'm in Norwich doing 
he said, oh, I pray for this church in Norwich. I pray for this church. In Norwich. He started sending me all this information about revivals in Norwich. How did he, his life is just immersed in it. Why is he a man of God? Because he hadn't neglected God's law. Because he lived by his statutes. Because he understands how precious they are to him. You'll know that at the coronation of our wonderful queen, there she was. Just an amazing young lady. And she's, you know, clothed in satin. And she rides to, to the coronation in a golden chariot. And the abbey is just full of all the lords and ladies and prime ministers and royalty of the world. Most watched program at that point ever. And it's just opulent and decadent. It's wealth and it's power. And they're there in their, with their jewels and their ermine and their silks. And all the power and glory of this world is on display. She gets out the golden chariot. She's holding a mace, you know, golden mace, great big crowns, great big diamonds, the full wallop. I mean, you, you've all seen the old footage, haven't you? Wow. And along comes the head moderator of the Church of Scotland. And he hands her a Bible in the middle of the ceremony. And he says, this is the most valuable thing that the world affords. He says, this is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. How about about that? All this power, all this glory is just transient. What matters is the eternal, and here it is with us in a book. You may never get to have a title and never get close to the queen and never get to be in, in the context of such human grandeur and pomp, but this is the royal law. And here we come near God. And he's the one who crowns us as his sons and daughters, even as we crown him. It's the most precious thing. And let me say one last thing as I finish. I must have gone around the houses and haven't said anything I'd planned to. Why is it so precious? And why is it so important? Well, because it comes from God and it mediates God and it connects us with God and transforms us into the likeness of God. 150 times in that Psalm 119, which is a celebration of God's law, 150 times it says, your word, your law, your decrees, yours, 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 yours. It comes from God. Yes, it's written by humans, in human context, for human reasons. It's 100% human, but it is joined 100% with the divine. And it mediates God's power. It mediates God's blessing. Are you depressed? Your word was found and I ate it and it brought joy and delight to my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Do you feel weak and impotent? 
You are in error, Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know not the scripture nor the power of God thereof. Do you feel at times unignorant and inarticulate and un, un, unsophisticated? Psalm says, I have more wisdom than all my teachers. Because I'm devoted to your law. Do you feel bound? The psalmist says, I will walk in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Do you feel troubled? Great peace of those who love thy law. Nothing will make them stumble. Feel unable to, to be the person God wants you to be? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, reproving, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God might be fully equipped be the people God's called them to be. Voltaire, the great architect of the French Revolution, it was said that he claimed that within 100 years of his death, there wouldn't be one Bible in France, not even in a museum. And 15 years after he died, the Bible Society bought one of his houses and turned it into a warehouse for Bible distribution. <laughs> There's power in this book. The tragedy that it's neglected by Christians is that they then have to live their Christian life on their own, rather than relying on the power of God. One of my favorite stories is by, about a man called Sadhu Sundar Singh. Have you heard of him? Just a couple. He was, in a, again, an Edwardian preacher. He was a converted Hindu, and it was a sadhu, a wise man, who just traveled around preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and working miracles. On one occasion, he got on a train, and another sadhu got on opposite him, and they spent hours on one of those long train journeys, just, and, and this other man was just staring at him. Like that. Four hours of it. A bit disconcerting. And after four hours, this other man said to the sadhu Sundar Singh, he said, what is this power in your breast? He said, I, I've got on and I see that you're of a different tradition than me and so for the last four hours I've put the evil eye on you. So I've been cursing you for four hours. By now you should be ill. What is it? But he said, I see some power here. What is it? And Sadhu Sundar Singh reached into his pocket and pulled out his New Testament and said, read it and weep, fat boy. <laughs> I, did. I mean, he didn't. He didn't say that. That is why there's power in it. And every demonic regime has sought to oppose Scripture. Every demonic regime that sets itself up against God has opposed God's word. Whether it was the Romans, we will feed you to the lions if you don't burn your, your holy Scriptures. Or the communists, you went to jail or worse if you owned a Bible. I love the fact that the Bible that was banned in China, more Bibles are produced in China than the rest of the world put together now. The Nazis forbade the Bible. They called it Das Lugenbuch, the book of lies. Why? There is power. And God wants us to read his book because he wants us to meet with him because he wants us to experience his power so that we can express it in our lives. I will not neglect it. Don't neglect it. It is so precious. Don't neglect it because it is so powerful and we need God's power 
It's not enough to come forward and be prayed for. You've got to then walk it out and live it out, and that is a life with God in his word. Have I got time for one more story? I'll put my watch on it or make, remind me that I've got to shut up. You know, there was a young Christian interpreter in Vietnam called Hien Pham. Uh, and uh, he used to translate for, for visiting Americans. And he actually translated, this is where I got the story from, uh, from Ravi Zacharias, who was a visiting evangelist in the late 60s. And uh, when Vietnam collapsed to the communists and the Americans were expelled and uh, communism was established, because of his involvement with the Americans, he was arrested and put in jail. And he, he was there for many years. And a bit like later with Pol Pot in Cambodia, they systematically attempted to brainwash him to get rid of all this kind of staining of the capitalist West and so on. And uh, this went on for many years, basically torture of the mind. And one day, after many years in jail, he just thought, God has abandoned me. God has given up on me, so I'm going to give up on God. And, today, uh, and tomorrow, I'm not going to pray. I've prayed every day since I became a Christian in my childhood, but now, no more. I'm just drawing a line, and God is no more in my life. Well, the next morning he got up, and he was called over by one of the officers and told that his job that day was to empty the jerry can, the oil cans that were used for toilet. And he had to go and tip these things out. So he went there, he picked up the cans, and he was tipping out the effluent of the, ca- gar- of the camp guards. And there he saw some paper, and he picked it up, and sort of wiped it off, one assumes, and stuffed it in his pocket. He didn't know what it was, but he wanted to read it, and he just because he hadn't read any text for years. That night, he got back to his room, and he cleaned this bit of paper off. And what was it? It was uh, Scripture, and it was the page from Romans chapter 8. And it said, and we know that in all things, a verse you'll know well, God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he knew 31,103 verses in the Bible few would have been as relevant to a man on the day he gave up his faith for God to speak through the cesspit to him. And he began, he realized that one of the officers had found a Bible, didn't know what it was, tore it up, used it for loo paper, and he collected it every day, and he made a little Bible out of it, and he began teaching the saints, teaching the people there in jail. And God worked an amazing miracle. And uh, grace visited that dark place. Eventually, he got free and came to America. I will not neglect thy law. You're never going to find yourself, one hopes, dear God, in such terrible dark places. But sometimes dark places, difficult times, they come to us. And here in this book, God draws near. And he comforts and strengthens us. This is the royal sacrament. This is food for the journey. This is the pathways for our life. 
This is the meeting place with God. This is the basis on which we have more. This needs to frame our lives. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you should just buy a new Bible. I buy a new Bible about every six months. I don't wear the other one out, but I just like the idea of kick-starting another commitment to it. Buy a Bible and start reading it again. And every day, God, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in thy law. Amen.